This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Samuel. Destroy their names from that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. Now Samuel is basically saying, this is what you're doing. You know, I take to heart these strong directives like cut down, destroy, burn. You know what this says to us? Listen, the things that get in our way in terms of our walk with the Lord, and often it's just stuff of our own flesh, we can never negotiate with. They must be dealt with radically. God makes it clear how he feels about sin. Israel enjoyed abundance and blessings when they remembered God and worshiped him and followed his ways. But when they sinned, they forfeited their blessings and always dealt with the consequences of their sins. Pastor Gary's going to remind you today that you still serve the same God. If you've been saved through Jesus' sacrifice, sin shouldn't have a place in your life anymore. God rewards obedience, but punishes sin. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 7 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. 1 Samuel chapter 7 is where we left off. At this point in Israel's history, they have been defeated by the Philistines who serve to be perennial enemies. You see the Philistines all throughout the Old Testament. They constantly are attacking Israel. They occupied the land during the time when Abraham's descendants had gone into Egypt. These are seafaring people from Crete. They live along the Mediterranean coast, along what is today the Gaza Strip, and they are constantly attacking the Israelites, and the Israelites are defending themselves against them. Well, there's this occasion here in 1 Samuel, in the first few chapters, where the Israelites take God for granted. Can you imagine that? They think that just because they have God on their side, that God's going to always fight for them, except they didn't realize that if you don't really live for God, how can you claim God to fight for you? And so they suffer a tremendous defeat at the hands of the Philistines. Thousands of Israelites die. And the Ark of the Covenant is captured by the Philistines. And it is this uh, golden box that contained the Ten Commandments, Aaron's budding staff, and a sample of manna that God had provided for the Israelites during the wilderness wanderings between Egypt and the Promised Land. And the Bible specifically says that God sits enthroned between the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant. So this was a very sacred object, and in some ways they idolized it, and they used it as a lucky charm. They thought if we take this out into battle with us, God will be with us and give us victory. And that's what they did, but they suffered defeat because they weren't really living for the Lord. And this Ark was captured by the Philistines. We talked about how the Philistines were afflicted because they had taken this sacred object, and so God afflicted them. The Philistines gave the Ark of the Covenant back. They put it on a cart that was led by two cows. And so they sent the cows with the cart and the Ark of the Covenant on the back of the cart into Israelite territory. And it ends up in the place called Kiriath-Jerim. That's the end of chapter 6 where we left off. 
The men of Kiryas Jerim take the Ark of the Covenant off. They're very excited to get this back. Unfortunately, they open the lid and look inside, and it, because it was a sacred object and you were never supposed to do that, God took care of. He smote the leaders of Kiriath-Jerim, and uh, so they had to learn a hard lesson there. You don't mess with the sacred things of God. And so they took the Ark of the Covenant then to a home. This is now chapter 7, a home that was occupied by a man by the name of Abinadab. And so chapter 7, verse 1 says, Then the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill and consecrated Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. Now this is curious because there was a tabernacle. It was a temple to the Lord before the permanent temple was built in Jerusalem and the tabernacle was in Shiloh. Why did they not take the ark of the covenant once they had recovered it back to Shiloh to its proper place in the tabernacle. Shiloh is about 25 miles away from Kiriath-Jerim. And it is unknown except that this is probably what they had in mind. Eli the high priest at the time and his two sons who were wicked were all dead now. And the place of the tabernacle was somewhat corrupted because a high priest, Eli, allowed this immorality of his sons to happen in the tabernacle where they seduced women who were coming there to sacrifice. And it's just likely that the men of Kiriath-Jerim thought, even though Eli and his sons Hophni and Phinehas are now dead, they have polluted the tabernacle of God. It is not a sacred sanctuary anymore. We have to put it in a place where it'll be respected and taken care of. We'll deal with the tabernacle later. And so they bring it here to the house of one guy whose name is Abinadab. Now, can you imagine? I mean, this is a sacred object to the Jewish people. The presence of God was there at the Ark of the Covenant. His glory hovered over the mercy seat. The men of Kiriath-Jerim, the leaders, had just been killed for opening the lid. And now this sacred object is sitting in your living room. Now, just think about this. Like, you're going to tiptoe around this. You're going to make sure that everything that happens in your house is godly. Think for just a moment. Like, if you have the Ark of the Covenant in your living room, the things that you aren't going to allow in your house anymore. I want you to do personal inventory right now, just in your head. Go, okay, the shows that I watch, the stuff that's in the pantry, or, you know, I'm not really sure what's underneath my bed. You know, all these different things, Right? <laughs> Think about how you would purify your house because now it is serving as a temporary tabernacle unto the Lord. Now translate that because here we are, if you know Christ, with the very presence of his holiness in us, and what are we allowing? The sacredness of God within our hearts and lives, and what do we allow in us, and what do we allow in our homes? It really isn't any different. We should consider the presence of the Lord and the sacredness of his holiness and his presence as something that motivates us to holy living. And so this guy, Abinadab, it was brought to his house, and they consecrated Eleazar, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. You're to protect this. You're to watch over it. And it says in verse 2, And so it was that the ark remained in Kiriath-Jerim a long time. It was there 20 years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Because now they're broken. They're sorry about what has happened. They suffered defeat under the Philistines. But God was gracious to bring them the ark of the covenant back. 
But they know the nation is in turmoil. Eli the high priest is dead. His, his evil sons have been killed in the battle against the Philistines. Where is God in all this? And who is going to be leading us? And who is going to be governing over us? And so they're lamenting everything that has happened here. It says there that the ark was kept for 20 years in Kiriath Jerim. But that statement really only means 20 years up until the next course of events. What you have to do is you have to add the fact that after the 20 years, Saul becomes the first king of Israel and he reigns for 40 years. His successor is David. David becomes king of Israel and seven and a half years into his reign, he calls for the Ark of the Covenant to be taken from Kiriath-Jerim to Jerusalem. So you have to add 20 plus the 40 years of Saul's reign plus seven and a half years of David's reign. Second Samuel chapter 6 tells us that. That's when David calls for the ark to be brought from kiriath Jerusalem to Jerusalem. So you're talking, you know, 40, 20, and seven and a half. You're talking at least 67 and a half years, about 70 years. The ark will stay here in this particular location. The tabernacle, the house of God, this tent that was in Shiloh, gets moved to a town called Nob, And it is there that they don't even sacrifice anymore because they don't have the Ark of the Covenant. So there's a lot of spiritual unrest and turmoil happening in the nation of Israel. But now coming on to the scene here is this boy who has grown up in the tabernacle, dedicated there by his mother, Samuel, who has grown up now into adulthood. We're going to see here in chapter 2, he's got sons himself. And he now serves to be a judge and a prophet for the nation of Israel. And God's going to use him as a mouthpiece to speak to the people of Israel. And so look at the next verse, verse 3. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, and these, by the way, the first recorded words of Samuel in terms of his prophetic exhortation to the nation of Israel. This is what he says. If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then... Put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths from among you and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. And so the children of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. Now, Samuel exhorts the nation here. The reason why you've suffered defeat by the Philistines is because you're not walking with the Lord. You're serving other gods of the other nations, the Baals, the reference there to the Baals and to the Asherahs. Baal was the male deity of fertility and of the harvest. Ashtoreth was the female counterpart of Baal. She was also the goddess of fertility. And so together the Israelites were worshiping these false gods instead of the one true God. And Samuel comes to them and says, you want to know why you're experiencing defeat in your life? Because you're not walking with the Lord. Hello? I mean, these principles are still the same. I know we're reading ancient scripture here, but these principles still apply today. If we don't walk with the Lord, why should we wonder why there's hardship in our lives? Listen, there's enough hardship that happens in our lives just because we live in a sinful, fallen world that we might not have done necessarily anything directly to contribute to the hardships that we're facing. But then there are hardships that we bring upon ourselves. The book of Proverbs says that the way of the transgressor is hard. We invite hardship into our lives and we don't walk with the Lord. 
So the way I figure it is, shouldn't we all think this way? There's enough hardship in the world in general that we're going to experience. Why do I need to pile on to that because of my own poor choices? And so these are the kind of things that we have to realize. Samuel comes to the people. He says, you know why? You know why you're suffering defeat? Because you're not walking with the Lord. You have to put away these false gods. You're not really serving him. Put away these false gods. And notice the emphasis he places is on the heart. He says, if you return to the Lord with all your hearts and then put away the foreign gods and the asterisks from among you and prepare your hearts for the Lord. This is a heart thing. This is a heart issue. Let me read back in Deuteronomy 12. You can turn backwards if you want or you can just um, listen. But it's Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Samuel is basically exhorting them what God had told him back in Deuteronomy 12. And this is what it says in Deuteronomy 12, 1 to 4. These are the statutes and judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. Listen, you shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess served their gods on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. And you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars and burn their wooden images with fire. You shall cut down the carved images of their gods and destroy their names from that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. And Samuel is basically saying, this is what you're doing. You know, I take to heart these strong directives like cut down, destroy, burn. You know what this says to us? Listen, the things that get in our way in terms of our walk with the Lord, and often it's just stuff of our own flesh, we can never negotiate with. They must be dealt with radically. And Samuel says, you're going to have to deal with these foreign idols in your own hearts and lives because this is a heart issue. Verse 5, and Samuel said, gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. And so they gathered together at Mizpah, drew water, and poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. Now, that last sentence, when he says that he judged them, We tend sometimes to think of the word judging in a very negative sense, like don't judge me, don't be judgmental. Okay, that's not the way it's meant here. Samuel is serving as a judge. It just means he's a leader. He is governing them. He is counseling them. He is correcting them. He is encouraging. He's a judge. So that's all that that means. But he gathers them at Mizpah, and he exhorts them in this way. And notice what they do. It says that they pour water out before the Lord. What does that mean? It was just simply indicative of They're pouring out their lives to the Lord. It was symbolic. That's all it was. They're like, they're pouring water out. And they're saying, like, we pour this water out. We're pouring out our lives to you, Lord. And they fasted also, it says there. And they confessed their sins to the Lord. And so this is a good little model for us. Like, how do we get right with God again? So let's say that we have allowed things either in our own flesh or the idols of life to creep into our hearts. Our walk with God is not the way it should be. What do we do to get it right? And what they do here is they pour out their hearts to the Lord by this symbolic water pouring. They fast, they pray, they confess their sins to the Lord. You know, the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What God wants is a broken and contrite heart he will not despise. 
When we come to him broken, that's what God loves. Most broken things in our world are despised. They are discarded. You break something at home, if you can't fix it, you throw it away. It's worthless at that point. But with God, things that are broken are beautiful. And when we are broken before him, that's when he can really use us, forgive us, and change our lives. When the people come before the Lord here, broken before him, fasting, praying, confessing their sins, saying, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. Verse 7, now when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines, these are like the leaders, the elders, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So, you know, here the Philistines have just suffered... God afflicted them. I mean, God has a sense of humor. He afflicted them. The King James says emrods, but when you look at what the language means, he gave them hemorrhoids. Isn't that a laugh, isn't it? He gave the Philistines hemorrhoids because they had the Ark of the Covenant. And then they sent it back to the Israelites. So they just got through that miserable thing. And now what do they want to do? They want to go fight the Israelites again. Like they just can't stop. So they're ready to wage war against the Israelites because the Israelites have gathered at Mizpah. They're in a place of, they're contrite, they're confessing their sins before God. And the Philistines want to capitalize on what they perceive as a weakness. These people are, they're all sullen and they're crying before God and they're broken. This will be a good time for us to attack them. Let me tell you something. Whenever you're broken before God, that's your strongest. But the enemy will think that's your weakest. And the enemy will try to pounce on you in those moments. And the Philistines are like, we're going to pounce on the Israelites. Because they're, look at all their brokenness. They're there in Mizpah. They're all weeping, crying, fasting, and praying before God. This will be a good chance for us to take advantage of them. Only it doesn't work out that way. Because when they're really broken before the Lord, that's when they have the strength of the Lord. Well, the Philistines don't know that. So here they come. Verse 8, so the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Now it doesn't say how. But the Lord somehow answered him. Verse 10, now as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day. And so confused, the Hebrew word is hamam, so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. So God just kind of sends this confusion amongst the enemy army of the Philistines, and they're so confused that they're overcome. And verse 11 says, and the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as below beth And then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer, saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. Now, circle the word Ebenezer there. It's from two Hebrew words, Eber, meaning stone, and Ezer, meaning help. Ebenezer means stone of help. Now, why? You know, we all have a tendency to forget the things that God does. And so what Samuel was doing was setting up this kind of little memorial or monument to the faithfulness of God. He didn't want the Israelites to forget what God had done on this day. 
So this little stone served to be a reminder that God helped them in their time of need, and he named it Ebenezer. Now, for those who have been around the church long enough, there is a song that uh, we sometimes sing. It's an old classic hymn of the faith. It's, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. There might have been times when you have sung that song where you've come to this thing about raising up your Ebenezer, and you're like, what does Ebenezer Scrooge have to do with any of this? Well, it doesn't have to do with Ebenezer Scrooge. It has to do with this story here. And so I'm going to read some of the verses of the song, of the hymn. It was written in 1758 by Robert Robinson, who got saved under George Whitfield's ministry. And he wrote this song, just three stanzas I'll read to you. But it says, Come thou fount of, no, I'm not going to sing it. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet. Sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. And then here's the stanza. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Here by thy great help I've come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God. He, to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. Oh, to grace how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let that grace now, like a fetter, bind my yielded heart to thee. Let me know thee in thy fullness, guide me by thy mighty hand, till transformed in thine own image, in thy presence I shall stand. Amen. And when that hymn speaks there about raising up an Ebenezer, The writer of the hymn was simply saying, may I always remember the faithfulness of God in my life. May I always remember when he rescued me, delivered me, and helped me. He is my stone. He is my rock, the stone of my help. And so he sets this up here to remind the people, the Lord has helped us today. Verse 13, so the Philistines were subdued and they did not come anymore into the territory of Israel. Isn't that good? And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Then the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath, and Israel recovered its territory from the hands of the Philistines. Also, there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Now, in my Bibles, I just underlined three words. In verse 14, I underlined the word restored and also the word recovered. And also the word peace, right there in verse 14, what I just read, restored, recovered, and peace. Because I think this paints a picture for us of what happens when we do get right with the Lord, when we do forsake our sins and our idols kind of a thing, and the things that interfere in our walk with the Lord. What happens when we confess our sins and we get right with Him? He's the one who comes to our aid. And When he comes to our aid, we are restored, we recover what is lost, and we have peace. It's just like this picture of like, this is how God works. When we rebel against him, we invite hardship. When we confess our sin and get right with him, he fights for us, and we find this wonderful restoration and recovering of things and the peace that only he can bring. Find the cornerstones, your connection, run towards your new life. 
Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the book of 1 Samuel. This book is packed full of practical applications for our lives today. We follow three main characters, Saul, David, and of course Samuel, through a series of crossroads and decisions they faced during the early days in Bible times. It is here that we find the victory of David over Goliath and the development of a new prophet in young Samuel. We also find the fall of a king in Saul as a reminder of the consequences of disobedience to God. As Samuel told Saul in chapter 15, verse 22, to obey is better than to sacrifice. Did you know that getting together as a church family is one way that you can hear the truth from one another? Cornerstone Chapel gets together each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m., and Wednesday at 7 p.m. to learn from the Word and spend time in fellowship as sons and daughters of the King. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We also encourage and believe in the power of praying together and for one another. Email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net with your prayer needs today. Thanks for listening to this teaching from 1 Samuel today on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know